This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. We are about to break the surly bonds of gravity and punch the face of God. I wish I was a little Left Jab Productions present Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. And now your host, Dave Zarin. The Shmada Kid. Boom! Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. I'm Dave Zarin. <laughs> Joined, as always, by a man who makes more money than every single basketball player in the NCAAs combined, <laughs> Dan Baker, DB. How does it feel to be wealthier than Jahil Okafor and Frank Kaminsky combined? He's got nothing. You talking? I don't have a witty response to that. You don't have a witty response <laughs> Something to that? Something about that their value isn't in money, it's in, I don't know, some form of college education. Oh, you're not even trying. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Dan... My goodness, man. you got to stop drinking cough syrup before the show starts, man. And, uh, and joined, as always, by the man who loves his cough syrup. I'm not even sure what I'm saying anymore. Uh, Coach McNutt, how you doing, Coach? Two words, Dave Zarin. March Madness. Your favorite time of year. Yes, sir. Going to make you justify that later. I'm going underground in a few here and don't want to see, talk, you or anybody else. No, you go underground <laughs> and you... Cannot turn your eyes away from the AT&T, Meineke, Gulf Oil, uh, NCAA countdown with Ernie Johnson brought to you by Pepsi, Kenny Smith brought to you. I mean, it's unbelievable, dude. There's branding on the branding on the branding. Fortunately, they have staggered game times because I watch all 64 at some level. Oh, dear God. I love it. And I I go away from commercials every chance I get. So, uh, you know. It's so many commercials. Yeah, you can't get away from them. There's nothing Four networks, staggered time. And you still get run into commercials. Yeah. Well, but it's still your favorite time of the year. My God, it's like an abusive relationship. You just keep going back for more. What about wow. you, me, Mark? Wrong. I appreciate the spectacle. College basketball is very much my blind spot, but because I have a microphone in front of me, you're going to have to hear my picks later. So oh, nice. that's good. So that's you do good. have picks. I do. Is I it just picks. like the uniforms you like the most? I, or? Who had the prettiest mascots? That, that's my that's my thing. Prettiest mascots. Yeah. That, that's a way to do it. Well, I've got my picks, too. I've got my picks for the women's and men's NCAA. We're going to talk about that. We're going to also talk about how the NCAA is ever going to change because we live within the contradictions of sports on this show. So we're going to talk about Smash the NCAA, and we're going to talk about uh, who we think is going to win this thing. Um, and we're also going to talk to Dave Megacy, a longtime mm-hmm. athlete activist who's been in conversation with Chris Borland, the person who turned the NFL on its ear this week when he retired at age 24 uh, because of the concern about concussions. But hey, first, we're going to go to break. We'll be back right after this. 
Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Boom, we're back, people, on Edge of Sports Radio. I'm feeling so good right now because it's Coach's favorite time of the sports calendar, and his energy is so infectious. Go Terps. Oh, we got a hell of a show this week. We'll get to that, Dan. We'll get to that. Um, this is going to be a hell of a show this week because we're not only talking about all the madness with the NCAA, um, we're going to talk to Dave Megacy, legendary athlete activist, the author of the book, Out of Their League. He walked away mm-hmm. from the National Football League mm-hmm. uh, in 1969, wrote the book, Out of Their League, and very interestingly, he's been in contact with Chris Borland, who was, I believe, the fourth player, uh, 30 or younger, this preseason to walk away. Wow. And wow. Chris Borland is, but he's, um, only two of them walked away without injuries. Two walked away, Jake Locker and Patrick Willis, just like frustrated with the injuries that they've uh, had to go through. But what makes Borland, I mean, obviously so interesting is that, you know, he didn't earn any real money yet. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. he's left $2 million on the table with this contract. Like he's not like um, some players, like I believe is uh, Jason Brown. If that name is right, I don't yes. know if I'm getting, but from the, from the Rams, yeah, yeah. from the Rams, yeah. who had um, 29 million mm-hmm. banked and could still have played many more years and walked away to be a farmer. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty nice thing to do. Mm-hmm. Number two, number two pick of the draft out of Baylor. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and and go more. Yeah, the guy who he was a, he was a combine guy. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. And you you then you look at someone though like Chris Borland, like he walked away never having suffered a concussion playing football, and not having made his money yet. And that's just a very interesting thing for him to do. And it's like I I communicated with Chris uh, earlier this week. We exchanged some emails, and he expressed real surprise that this became like this huge story. Like that was not his intent. Mm -hmm. But but it's like what I don't think he realized was that he was poking at the great existential fear of the National Football League. Like the idea – not that people will stop playing because I think that's where people get it wrong. If the NFL is not afraid that people will stop playing – I think they're afraid that the Chris Borlands of the world will stop playing, mm-hmm. which means, to be very clear, um, people who come from stable, mm-hmm. middle-class homes. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not – I mean, obviously, anytime you talk about class in this country, it's the, the discussion is disproportionately affected by race because of um, how race and class intersect. But, but when I talk about class, I'm talking about people like, like Russell Wilson, Colin Kaepernick, Robert Griffin III, like people who come from stable, middle-class families who play multiple sports – they're not playing anymore. If that happens, that's a real fear for the NFL because then you're talking about a sport which likes to portray itself as projecting and reflecting America just being like full gladiator. Like poor kids, mm-hmm. mostly black, mm-hmm. rich white fans, jeering them as they give each other brain damage. And mm. that's already an element mm. of the NFL. But the idea that that would become the dominant overarching reality, I think that's what scares the crap out of Roger Goodell and why they went on such an offensive afterwards. Mm-hmm. But that's we're going to talk about that. But I want to ask you guys is this. We always talk about the NCAA. We always talk about the problems with the NCAA. John Oliver buried the NCAA so good. in great, a 20 great minute piece. segment. Great, great, great. Oh my goodness. Yep. And that comes after Taylor Branch buried the NCAA. Mm-hmm. That came after Walter Byers, who headed the NCAA for over two decades, buried the NCAA. <laughs> Everybody buries the NCAA. 
I mean, seriously, it's like hitting George Foreman when he came back as a 40-year-old. <laughs> you know, big target. You could hit the target all day long. But like George Foreman when he came back, just because you hit him didn't mean he was going anywhere. Yeah. So it's one of those things where words are not enough. You know, the pen is not mightier than the sword in this situation. It's like we can bury the NCAA day and night. They could have scandals leading up to the most hallowed coach in the history of college football having his assistant being a serial child rapist, and they just keep going. And so the question I have for you, I mean, it's obvious to me that if the system's ever going to change, it's going to be because of struggle, not because its contradictions are so vast and they're so embarrassed. So I want to ask you both this question. Where is the most effective engine of struggle? What's the most realistic engine of struggle? And I want to lay out the three and coach you tell me. Do you think it's most likely to come from fans slash consumers who, of course, hold the purse strings? You know, fans stop going to the games. There's no money. Is it student athletes slash players who are in a precarious position, of course, because they are so powerless on the teams, but if they withhold their labor, nothing happens? Or is it professors? And I ask this question because professors Mm. started a new organization this Mm -hmm. week aimed at paying college athletes, and professors, of course, have tenure. And they can say, if they have tenure, they can pretty much say and do whatever they want against the NCAA, and they're not in threat of losing their jobs. Mm -hmm. So, Coach, who do you think is best primed to change the system? Because it's not going to happen just because we embarrass them. Players, fans, professors, or let's say campus community. Uh, Fans and campus community only because hopefully they have enough uh, power to want to go and, and frustration and anxiety to want to go to the Congress people so that we can get things changed from that perspective in terms of the uh, non-exempt status and things of that nature. The players know uh, the, 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 career's too, the career's too short. Uh, I appreciate what, um, what's the brother's name? Kane Coulter, Coulter at Northwestern. Yeah, yeah what, he, what, he, what he did, what he's trying to do and the guy from UCLA. Ramogi Huma, yes, who we've had on the and, show. And, yeah. You're right, who we had on the show. Appreciate what Founder they're doing. The want, athletes, it's uh, going to take a coalition of all, Dave. So I want them to keep marching and keep doing what they're doing. But oh, yeah, you I'm got, not asking you, know, you for a value judgment right, on right. who you like best right. or who you would like to see do it. I just right. mean who do you think is best positioned to do it? You're like going you campus it, community and Yeah, because we got we, we to gotta take it to Congress and, and, and get the fight done there. Oh, man. Yeah. Notice Congress independently was certainly not one of my choices. Right. I know. I know. Because <laughs> things don't happen in Congress. Yeah, it should, I mean, my goodness. I mean, anybody who thinks Congress is going to be the engine I mean, of change, not on this, but no. anything, mm-hmm. <laughs> it needs to look a little closer. Yep. All right. Uh, mean Mark, we'll keep going on this after the break if we yep. have to, but talk to me, man. Who do you see? I think that the ha- having hoping that the fans are going to stop watching the games is a pipe dream in terms of using that as the reason that things change. I don't think it's going to happen. I think we can talk about it, but we're still going to tune in for March Madness. I think that the labor, the product that exists that makes the, the NCAA money is the game, and I think that it's in the players. I know that there's definitely a short uh, shelf life of playing time, but through organization, through like a mass withholding of that labor, that's how – I mean, that's – the crux of what will actually change things. I think that professors, that's an interesting thing you put on, but my my money's on the players. Fascinating. Um, Gosh, I mean, I go back and forth. I've been going back and forth. The reason why I asked you guys the question wasn't because, like, I'm sitting here like Jabba the Hutt. You know, (laughs) oh, 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 here is real answer. Oh, 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 me have answer. But no, no, I don't have 
the All answer. Right. I've been ping-ponging in my head about this. Um, if you'd asked me a year ago, I absolutely would have said the players. So yeah. impressed was I with Northwestern and mm-hmm. Kane Coulter mm-hmm. and the growing movement of Ramogi Huma and the rest. Uh, the issue, though, is just like you look at like they're stymied by labor law in this country, mm-hmm. but also like you mentioned Congress before, Coach. I mean, you saw this rush by all of these uh, right-wing state legislatures right. to ban the organizing yes, in true. state colleges. Mm. And I don't even know. I mean, that has to be challenged legally. It's like I'm not, I don't even know how they have the right to pass such a mm. thing yeah. as state legislation to say that college athletes can't be in unions. It seems like the most arbitrary thing. It's like you couldn't go uh, to your state legislature and be like, pass a law that um, from now on the, the language will be Swedish. You know, and people can't wear socks. I mean, it's like you can pass that all you want, but it's like, wait a minute. That that has to violate their constitutional rights on some level. So I just, I don't know, like it just feels like such a, a, a long road. I'm very in, encouraged and interested in the professor idea. Like when I heard about this organization starting and I looked into it a little bit and saw that it was connected to a lot of big-time money schools, I was um, heartened. And also, I was sort of wondering to myself, like, why this hasn't happened before? Because it seems like a no-brainer, because I've heard so many professors speak out, be embittered about the system, about what they have to offer student-athletes, about the way they feel student-athletes are exploited, and they have not tried to organize themselves. And I wonder if that's partly the money that at least they're told it brings in, although at most schools it doesn't, although, as John Oliver pointed out, some of those figures are really, really mm-hmm. fishy. Absolutely. Like they spend money to make it look like they're not making money. So, Coach, you're right, man. It's a combination of the three, but the most important thing is to support the movements that do yes. spring up. Got hey, to. we got more to talk about with this. We'll be back right after this. One, one, two, two, Don't one, two, move. Three, Dave Zirin will be right back with more Edge of Sports Radio. You're listening to Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio. Coach, in the break, you were expressing concern for my mental health. Please speak. <laughs> I know, but not necessarily <laughs> your mental health. It's just that it seemed in closing that uh, the listeners can take that there's, going, there's never going to be any change. As much as I love March Madness, I'm, I'm dealing with that from uh, the, 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 the player's perspective. We'll talk more about that. But I want all the changes. You know, uh, mm-hmm. what John Otto was talking about was right on the money. And I want changes and reform and so forth. And I'm optimistic that they will come and they will come soon. And I think you painted a picture like they're almost like the NFL too big to fail. And I hope that's not the case. Please, Dave, don't tell me that's the case. No, no, no. I don't think the NCAA is in a too big to fail position. Largely, the number one reason I think one of the big Achilles heels of the NCAA is that a lot of people don't realize that these college football conferences, they operate largely independently of the NCAA. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. March Madness is 90% of the NCAA's budget is where they get their money. And even though basketball makes profoundly less than college football, college football is king. Because college football operates outside, the NCAA is basically just an instrument of enforcement in college football. That's all it is. And so college football, um, I think, is like a living, breathing entity that shows that you don't need the NCAA to mm-hmm. exist. You don't need it to have college sports. Well, the reason why college football conferences like having the NCAA still around is that it allows for a certain status quo to remain, which allows for administrators and coaches to reap millions 
while mm-hmm. players continue yes. to be unpaid. Right. So they depend on the NCAA to restrain the existence of a kind of a true free market. Mm-hmm. And so the NCAA acts as sort of like an external tariff that prevents them from being able to operate um, in, a, in, a, in a more free fashion. And the thing that I find so hilarious is people say like, oh, if you had, if players got paid, then schools would be outbidding each other for players and things like that. And, and it's like, and people wouldn't be making the choice based on uh, more wholesome values. And it's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> is it, they, they show off their weight rooms. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they use women as objects mm-hmm. to greet players. And I mean, the whole gutter economy of college athletics, mm-hmm. particularly college football, mm-hmm. is what would disappear. I mean, it's not a dissimilar argument from drug legalization. I mean, it's like mm. it's this idea of saying that if you actually had something that was above board, you would save a lot of people from getting trampled because that's what's happening right now because mm-hmm. we do have a market in college athletics. It's just the means of exchange are really ugly. And oftentimes people get exploited. You know, I, I interviewed Jimmy King earlier today from the Fab Five. Mm-hmm. And he just was like, he, he get, t- told the inside story about the time when the Fab Five all decided to wear black T-shirts and yes, come out I on remember. the court. Because yeah. they didn't want to uh, be free advertisements yes. for Nike. Yeah. And he said, you know, he said, it, it was, we all saw it then. That it was just such a big hustle. And nothing mm-hmm. in the last 20 years has changed nothing. my mind. Nothing. That's what he it's said. It's increased. It's a big hustle. Yeah, yeah the yeah. hustle has increased because yeah. yeah. I remember I was I don't know if you saw that I hate Christian Leitner 30 for 30 Not about yet. the early 90s but one of the things that looked so quaint is that back then Duke was the school that kept its players for four years mm-hmm. and that was sort of how it marketed itself like where are the place where people get an education <laughs> and now look at Duke is now the place where Mike Krzyzewski makes 10 million dollars a year and may have emphasis may have Covered up a sexual they assault, have, yeah. and players go for one year and done. Like, I mean, was Kyrie Irving? Did he even go to campus? I mean, he, he played like thirty-two <laughs> minutes. Right, six games, got hurt, and was gone. And uh, Corey Maggette, a uh, few, uh, few others. Uh, William I Avery. Brands- I mean, even yeah, players William, who yep. didn't have great prospects. Right, William uh, Avery. Yep. I mean, so so that is what it is. So everything is everything, as mm-hmm. we say. John Calipari is only the most honest huckster. Oh, so. Speaking of which, <laughs> the first question of the tournament goes to you, Coach. Uh-huh. I'm going to start with the men's only. I was going to start with the women's, but we're starting with the men's only because you just uh, threw out the, col- the C word. That's Calipari. <laughs> C word. First question. Yes. Kentucky or the field? Uh, do you like Kentucky to win it all, or do you have somebody knocking them off? Yeah, I got somebody uh, knocking them off. So yeah. you don't have Kentucky? No, but that's, you know. Okay. Uh, uh. Can you tell us who you have not? Are, are we doing our predictions? No, no, now? we're not doing Final Four. Just tell us who you have because this might not be your Final Four team. Where do you see Kentucky getting tripped up? Uh, Arizona. Arizona. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. You have Arizona running through the gauntlet of death. The Arizona. Yeah. Oh my God! Yeah. I don't know if you saw this article, but like <laughs> all of Sean Miller's psychological torments right. are in that bracket. Right. I mean, it's like they designed it to destroy the Arizona coach's brain. All right, so that's where you. All right. Kentucky or the field, Mark? I. I'm not going to say that we, that we planned this, but I also have Kentucky losing to Arizona. Really? Yeah. So, and that would be in the final four. So, effectively, right. yeah. you, that you would have be final four. Yeah. Final four. Yeah. So, right. you have because the number one seed in Arizona's bracket is yes. Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. So, right. wow, that's very interesting. I also have the field against <laughs> Kentucky, and I have them being knocked off in the second round by UMD, who I also have going 
to the Final Four. UMD, Maryland? Uh, yes. That, that would be the Sweet 16. <laughs> That'd be third, man. Be sweet 16. That's yeah, what I meant. Yeah, I meant sweet, sweet 16. Yeah, yeah. I meant wow. 16. Well, you were out there, my brother. <laughs> I, that's what I get for not bringing in my bracket. But I have UMD, the Terps, beating Kentucky. You just made Dan so in happy. In the round of 16, going to... The final four. Whoa. Wow. I mean, with all due respect, if they're going to beat Kentucky, they clearly have the ability to go to the final four. I agree. Yes. Yeah. And I think Kentucky, this is just my own personal analysis of this. Um, I think where Kentucky is vulnerable is um, uh, exterior defense on the perimeter. Mm-hmm. I think if you have a team that has one or two guys get really, really hot, and if they struggle inside with their bigs, Kentucky can be beaten. I see them as being vulnerable. I see them as a very well-coached team. People don't realize half the team is not freshmen. That might be a record for Calipari. Right, right. So they do have some right. experience. Right, right. And so, so I actually, you know, I see the pressure getting turned up. Uh, their bigs are the ones who are young. Right. And so let's see what happens. I like UMD. I like a couple of players on UMD to be able to get hot from the perimeter. The thing about Kentucky, and it's more so about Kentucky's tradition, Adolph Rupp, one, and then two, Calipari. But I have to give Cal, and this is hard for me to do, have to give him his props because what he has done, Dave, you, you mentioned about the sophomores. He has a collection of players that have big entourages and big egos, their parents and everybody telling them to, to, to go to the league. They're coming in with an extensive entitlement. And he's got them all to play 20 minutes a game, share the ball. Nobody's averaging more than 12. And that is really an accomplishment. You've got to give him that. But here's the thing. Just say he did the same thing with John Wall and Eric Bledsoe. He did the same thing with Anthony Davis um, and uh, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist and uh, those players, too. Right. So that's not, that's not a first for him. Right. I mean, he's shown but, the ability to do this. Right. But this team is on the verge of going 40-0. And, and, but he, but in, in doing that, he will, be the first to te- <laughs> he will be the first to tell you that I'm doing this. And he's, he's such a self-promoter, such a carnival huckster that I just can't buy into him. And, and, and then when I look at the whole picture, I'm saying, wait a minute. Is he supposed to go in the an- down in the annuals of Bob Knight, who I'm not a big fan of either? At 40-0, and 0, an undefeated team, I just can't see it. So, naturally, I can't have Kentucky winning this thing. <laughs> no, no, I hear you. I mean, obviously, they're, they're the best bet to do this. Right. Yeah. I think, I mean, not since Indiana, probably more since UNLV when they got knocked off by Duke in the right. semis back in, I right. believe it was 91. And uh, that was because that UNLV team, I mean, that was a team of men. Oh. I mean, Larry Johnson was a grown man. Stacy Augman was a grown man. Even, even like Greg David Anthony Butler. had like three businesses on the side. <laughs> was a grown man. I mean, Anderson Hunt. I mean, it's just like it was uh, an amazing team. Yeah. So, all right. Very good stuff, guys. Neither None of us have Kentucky. That makes me happy. Dan, you want to say? I get Kentucky. Okay. Taking out your Terps? I think they're a ridiculously complete team. The fact that (laughs) all these guys who did return made it to the championship last season, so you have the experience, they know what to expect. And as much as I agree with Dave in the sense that, yeah, perhaps a really hot shooting team from the outside could give Kentucky problems, Maryland's weakness is on the inside, and they're going to have absolutely no ability to do anything on the offensive end, and I think that's going to make them one-dimensional. Both, both. De- defensively, Why would they have a problem on the offensive end? Maryland, scoring score. in the point, Maryland point, doesn't point. score in the paint. Right. It's oh, you mean in the paint Mello on the offensive right. end? Okay. No, 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 I, I misunderstood so, you. Yeah. No, I hear you. And that's the reason. And so, no, if Maryland's outside people are cold, this could be, like, painfully ugly. Mm-hmm. This could be, like, the massacre oh. of College Park right. if, if 
Maryland's cold from outside. But hey, the best thing, if they get to that point, we're going to have an entire week of the whole country rooting for the Terps. Uh, yeah, except for the Kentucky fans. All right, so Coach, yes, sir. you obviously, um, we've got to be quick now, yep. you obviously have Kentucky and Arizona. Yes. Who are your other two Final Four teams? Uh, Virginia, on a stretch because of uh, Anderson, I'm hoping he's going to get his act together. Virginia's had a perfect year outside of Anderson industry. And my surprise pick, SMU coming out of the South. Wow, Larry uh, Brown. Getting rid of Duke, uh, UCLA, who they played this afternoon, and then uh, Duke later on. But SMU, UVA, Kentucky, Arizona, and Arizona cuts down the nets on Monday. Whoa. Three, three weeks from now. Holy guacamole. Mark, you. I, In I, addition to Arizona and Kentucky. and Kentucky. I have the Battle of Iowa. I've got Northern Iowa and <laughs> Iowa State. <laughs> I'm exactly. Wow. Uh, Arizona and uh, Iowa State. Arizona winning it all. Wow. Dan? Kentucky coming out in the top. They're going to eventually win it all. I have Arizona getting past Wisconsin in their west region in the south. I think <laughs> my my head wants to say Duke, even though I know they're going to screw it up like Georgetown will really early on because they're both just uh, sorely <laughs> overrated. It just, but I can't, I can't see any other team coming out of this. So I got Duke coming out of the south, and then the other region have a ton of thought. But you know what? I'm going to go Villanova. Chalk. That's chalk. Chalky man. <laughs> it's chalk right. for a reason because I think it's the best three, team. I have three amazing tick, uh, picks and then the UMD pick, which I agree is just insanely dicey. <laughs> so, um, so in addition Talk to UMD, I have Iowa State, like my man Mark. Uh-huh. Three C. I have yep. Wisconsin. One C. And I have Louisville. Um, as, as a, um, I think there are four. Yeah. four yeah. And four. I'll tell you this. I got Wisconsin cutting down the nets. Is uh, that right? Yes, I do. Okay. Uh, Frank the Tank. Yep. Uh, yep. Shockingly effective player. We're final four last year. So. And I'll tell you this. My uh, final four on the women's side, yes. I feel really good about these. I got a lot of chalk, but I got UConn. Uh, I, got, um, I got UNC, which is a four seed. I got Tennessee, which is a two seed, and I got Notre Dame with um, with Notre Dame winning it all. Hey, this hmm. is Edge wow. Sports. Uh, we'll go to break. We'll be back after this with Dave Megacy. Dave Zirin will continue with Edge of Sports Radio after the break. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio. Joined by the coach, Kevin McNutt. How you doing, coach? My man. And me, Mark. How you doing, me, Mark? Also my man. Yes. Uh, <laughs> our next guest uh, played in the National Football League in the 1960s, uh, and then he left the sport and in 1970 published the classic sports memoir. It's not just a sports memoir. It's a political memoir out of their league about why he chose to walk away from the National Football League. Uh, He went on to become West Coast Director of the National Football League Players Association, and we're so happy to have him on the show to talk about the ways in which Chris Borland set the NFL world on its ear. His name is Dave Megacy. Dave, how are you doing, sir? Hey, Dave. Thank you very much. And (laughs) thanks for a little over-the-top introduction, but thank you. You're a great person to have on the show, too, because of your connective tissue to this story, both uh, historically and very personally. So just to lay it out for for our audience here, how did you come to even meet or know who Chris Borland was? Last April, about uh, 11 months ago, I had a a speech at the University of Wisconsin. Um, A young history professor brought me there to uh, to to give a lecture. And uh, and I came in and uh, and did that. And uh, Chris was a 
uh, was a student uh, in this professor's class, and so he came to the lecture. And then uh, I had another event, a smaller event, uh, uh, in the evening, and and he and Chris came to that, and uh, and then we wound up going out uh, to have dinner together with uh, some other people who were associated with the class and what what was going on there. And uh, got to know him, and uh, we had a uh, good conversation, and uh, just found him to be a, a really uh, a very sharp guy, very good guy, and uh, a person who, uh, you know, was was really, uh, you know, looking at the game, if you will, from uh, you know, not kind of bamboozled, if you will, by all the NFL, but clearly a very good player and wanted to do well in the league and all the rest of it. So. We started a relationship and uh, email relationship, a few phone calls over the past year, and uh, basically that's how I got to know him. Now, um, I get the impression that he takes history very seriously. He takes his uh, right. degree from the history department very seriously. Um, was that something? I mean, obviously, if he's like seeking you out and trying to talk to you, clearly this is someone who gives a damn about about history, about what happened in the past. I mean, it was, yes. was that yeah. your impression? I think that was definitely a good way to put it, and that was my impression of him that he was he was interested in a bit of the history but but what we talked about literally was you know the, uh, a lot of it was the transition from from college to the league and my just telling him my impression certainly what what I was aware of when 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 I did that way back when, and of course uh, working for the players association the union for twenty five years was had some sense of that too and basically uh said look you know uh it's going to be a great opportunity uh, know all you can know uh, it's going to really depend on uh how 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 smart you are as a player uh that's going to be a very big factor as a rookie particularly how how well you pick up the scheme and pick up the defense and pick up uh and i said look just get to know every position on the field if you can and he's it struck me as being sharp enough to do that, and he really picked up on that. That uh, it, you know, it was about uh, being smart mm-hmm. and uh, playing the game smart. So that's what the coaches were really going to be looking for, certainly out of a rookie player. Now, yeah, if he was going to really make it. So yeah, yeah. Now I know you guys were in communication before he made his decision to walk away from the game. Uh, what can you tell us about your impression of of, it, of his thought process going into that decision? Well, we had some we had some e- email communication, like I said, over the year. We've talked, you know, a couple three times, but we've had email communication uh, uh, back and forth over the past year. And at one point, he asked me if I if he could if I if I knew how to connect him up with the Fainru brothers, uh, you know, mm-hmm. who did the book on the League of Denial of of the league, basically denying that there's any connection and relationship between head trauma and. Uh, and uh, CTE, the chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is the which is the very specific disease, punch drunk, it was called in the old days that uh, football players get, and and um, and so I did that, and there were some other people, and then I think the uh, you know the, the Steve Fainru, uh, you know, connected him up, connected him up with other people, and. And it was, I think it was, he was in the, at that point in the research phase of, of, okay, let's get a good picture of what's going on here and who really should I talk to. And I've talked mm-hmm. to some, some friends subsequently who turned him on to some, some neuroscientists who were, uh, you know, researching this. And so it, 
it, it really was a sense of him really doing his homework on this and really mm-hmm. getting a, a real good picture of, okay, what is going on out there? And, uh, and that he really understood that he could not really trust the league or anybody they were going to turn him on to, to basically give, give him the straight skinny on it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so he really did his homework. And, uh, then when we talked about a month ago, uh, he, he had told me he had made the decision and he said, you know, he was going to do that. And of course asked me to keep, keep it quiet. And I did and wanted to know what my opinion was about it. And I said, I thought, you know, it was his decision. It certainly made a lot of sense. And I said, you know, how you do it, uh, to, to, to put it in a larger frame here, which is the real question of, uh, should kids be playing organized, uh, contact football? And, uh, to really raise the question for parents to say, you know, should my eight year old kid be out there, you know, playing tackle football, you know, with helmets and shoulder pads and all the rest of it. And I said, you know, if you can kind of make that, that statement or really raise that question for, for parents and concerned people, that would be a very important thing to do. And my sense of what he's done, the way he did leave the game, uh, really did raise that question. And uh, certainly, you know, with a great deal of integrity, a great deal of intelligence, and a lot of players have supported him over the the tweeting business. And uh, (laughs) so he's really, uh, you know, and he had a great year. He had a great rookie Mm -hmm. rookie season. And uh, so... um, I think the point is made and really did raise the question again. I think the important thing too, Dave, is that really Chris made it personal. Mm-hmm. And he's in, in, in a sense, it is not a statistic. I mean, and of course there was the Dave Dewerson and junior sale and, 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 and their suicides, but, but, you know, Chris as a young guy having potentially a great future in the league made a decision and he raised the question no, I'm not going to do this because there's a very good chance I will walk away from this game if I continue to play it with with brain damage and brain injury, and I'm not going to do that. Yeah, what's so so, uh, oh, sorry, so okay. I think that he made it personal, and it's about individual lives, and it's about what happens. You know, uh, if you if you what can happen if you play this game, and uh, and so he made that very clear, and I think that was a very important statement to make. If do you view his statement as being a personal act of an individual or do you view it as a political statement and how should we view it? Well, it's kind of how you define political too. I think it's definitely personal, but I think that Chris is a, is a person who has a larger social conscience about things. You know, it's not just his own personal decision because when we talked about it, I said, well, you know, if you do it in a, in a certain way that you've the way you've done it, you you're going to raise the larger question. Mm-hmm. And the larger question is, should young kids be playing tackle football? Mm-hmm. And and all that we know, you know, and all the information that's coming out now, the consensus is no. You know, 15 maybe should be the lowest age limit that that uh, you know the, that uh, people should be putting on the helmet and the shoulder pads, and uh, and so so I think you know the the point was okay if you you if you if you can make raise that issue and really get people to think about it parents to think about it that's going to be a very positive thing and uh and i think he you know that's the way it came off and that's the way he that's the way it happened and so in a sense of of political in a sense of uh 
of, of moving the larger social consciousness, if you will, in a positive direction. Um, yeah, I think he, he basically did that. And uh, he's the kind of guy who, who thinks in those terms. I mean, it's not about just about him. It's about what what can I do positive in the world that can can have a positive impact and and uh, and move it in a positive direction. So uh, so I think that that really did happen. You know, it's so interesting because that's exactly what happened. And I, right. I communicated right. with Chris, and he was shocked that it got as big as it got. That it became like yes. this. Huge, I mean, it, it kind of like was like whoa. And well, I think we know. can probably guess why it was so big, why it rankled so many, why it became such a discussion. I mean, you said it because it raises those larger questions, and also like him leaving so much on the table. In, right, in, you know, all the money. That and just doesn't are about that. But, happen. You know, it's, there's a little deeper cut here. I know you know you're you're working with Jim Brown and 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 a, and a book with him. And I remember, you know, when when he quit. Of course, he was my gen, you know, generation. I played against Jim Brown, and people said, "Well, geez, how could you possibly do this?" You know, it's like somehow you, as an athlete, aren't allowed to make that decision about your life, or yeah. you should be giving your your life to the game. And uh, how dare you, uh, being this great football player, how dare you dare you leave? You know, yeah. and uh, you know, it really has to do with two in terms. I think, uh, you know, the view of, of athletes. You know uh, uh, that 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 maybe uh, I wouldn't say they can't or or should not be making decisions about their lives. They should really give it all for, give it all to the sport. And uh, and Jim was really the first one who basically said, "No, I'm finished. I've done it. I'm moving on to something else." And 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 Chris is a, certainly in, the, in in that lineage of that tradition of people saying no. There's some real considerations here, and the consideration is my brain, and uh, so I'm leaving. And uh, you know, I, I I I proved to myself that I could play in the league, and uh, it's great. And and he certainly talks about you know he's going to you know lament the fact a little bit that he's leaving because he really loves to play, but it's it's like. Uh, making a very considered decision in his life and uh, saying, you know, my brain's more important than playing football. You know, it, it's it's interesting. Um, the 49ers, when Chris made the announcement, just made a classy comment about it was great to have him as part of the organization. We wish him well. The NFL made this <laughs> huge pivot to be like, the concussions are down 25%. They gave him, they gave him a sentence and then a paragraph about how, how safe the <laughs> how game is. football safe, right? It's like, <laughs> good luck, no Chris, yeah. and there's a new culture of safety. I mean, all these uh, love, buzzwords. Love, 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 love. I mean, I guess I wanted to ask you that. Like, how seriously should people take that? Like, they come up with these unsourced statistics well, about concussions being all. down. I mean, Chris said it best. He said, he said you know, that... And he, he, you know, he understood, and his, uh, you know, Steve Feiner did a, a long piece on him. He said, "Look, it's like, it's like uh, Coca-Cola company saying, you know, if you're going to drink, if you're going to drink sugar water, it's going to make you fat." And uh, he said, "No, they, they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't tell you that. You know, mm-hmm. that that's not about, it's not about making making you fat. It's all about, you know, it tastes good, da 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 da." And so, I mean, the the the. The thing with Chris is saying, of course, the league is not gonna not going to support him in this. Of course, they're going to try to say football's safe. Well, football's not safe. 
I mean, and, and I think we really need to get to the language about this because people talk about concussions and, and they use that word. Well, what does that really mean? Well, what you're really talking about here is brain damage. You're talking about brain injury. Uh, the medicals say blunt force head trauma, if you want to get a little more technical. But you play this game, you're going to walk away with brain injury, brain damage. And, and 76 out of 79 brains of ex-NFL players that have exa- examined at the group at Boston uh, have CTE. Dave, I got to tell you, thank you so much. Uh, we got to go to break right now. We'll be back to wrap up the show. Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. Edge of Sports Radio returns. Here's Dave Zirin. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio to wrap up the show. Coach was here. Kevin was here. We heard from Dan, but in the chair only because he has spring break. Noah Tilton back. How you doing, Noah? I'm great. Glad to be here. Oh, man. How's school going? Let us know. It's awesome. How are your grades? They're good. Just good? Everything's good. Yeah. Man, it could be a little better, but I hear you. they're fine. Football, you played? I did play. Concussions? No concussions. All right. But, you know, he could be lying because that's what I hear about these football players. Did your coach ever say to you, you got your bell rung, I don't care, get back on that field? No. That never happened? No. Not to me. Okay. No. Darn, I thought we were going to bring some news on this show. <laughs> so, Noah, straight up, people gave their picks. What's your thinking? Who do you like in the Final Four? And then I got a follow-up question for you. All right. I have Kentucky. This is men's Final Four, to be clear. I have Kentucky, Wisconsin, and Kentucky winning that one. And I have uh, Virginia. And Duke, and Duke winning that one. 1-1-2-1. One, one, one. Yeah. Oh, pretty and chalky. Kentucky beating Duke in the finals. Okay, so you're going with the big ratings, big showcase, yeah. high sticker item. Yeah. Finals. Kentucky-Duke finals. Uh, I mean, my God, there'll be some people who have just nobody to root for. I actually think that could work <laughs> against the finals. I could see people literally not no. watching. Seriously. I wouldn't watch. You wouldn't yeah. watch that? I consider it, but I'd consider not watching. Yeah, thirty nine and zero. At thirty nine and zero, you wouldn't watch Kentucky right, go for forty zero. Yeah, I bet you. They probably beat Duke by twenty anyway. Who cares? If there were so much as thirty eight and one, I wouldn't watch. Follow <laughs> well, up question: be there. As a be young there. man who plays sports, do you think that revenue, uh, revenue producing college athletes should have the opportunity uh, to make money off their labors? I do. I do think that they should be able to yeah. get money for what they're doing. What's your number one reason for saying they should make make a buck? Well, the universities and the coaches, administrators, make a ton of money off of them. I don't think it's fair that they should be barely scraping by for their whatever amount of time that they're playing college. Yeah, I mean the thing the thing about basketball in particular that galls me is you got these coaches in these suits and wingtips and yeah. players running up down the court wearing brands and corporate logos yeah. and <laughs> the coach gets the check. Hey, you're a smart young man. I keep you around here. Thank you, Noah. <laughs> well said, sir. Go Spartans. That I just go said state. That. Yeah, go state. Damn, I didn't even say it right. All right, for, for me, Mark Barry, for Coach, for Dan, who just woke up, I'm Dave Zirin. We are out of here. Peace! Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Tune in next week and go to edgeofsports.com.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis' The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details.